Mike Rags and Todd Burlage with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Well, welcome back, everybody. It is time for another Blue Gold Report. And if you're keeping track at home, uh, I am Mike Rags, Todd Burlage by my side. And, yes, we have been doing every other week now that the football season is over and the men are women uh, and women are playing some basketball in winter. We thought we'd take some time off. And uh, we'll be off next week and then back the week after. So this is our on week. And, you know, as we look ahead, we're going to talk about um, some recruiting problems that Notre Dame has been facing, whether or not to get five-star players or not how they are behind the eight ball there and why they aren't getting the quote-unquote five stars. We're going to bring in Steve Wilfong from 24-7 Sports and 247sports.com to discuss that. We also got to get to some basketball. The men are just, just struggling along here, and that's just unfortunate. They're young, and they have no depth. And the women now, all of a sudden, is their cause for concern after losing again. And is the rest of the pack in women's basketball catching up to Notre Dame and UConn? It certainly does seem that way. We'll talk a little bit about that throw in some other stuff, but let's bring in Todd Burlage here. Todd is, of course, the lead writer for Blue Gold Illustrated for Notre Dame Sports. Todd, how you doing, my friend? Doing well, Rags. How are you, sir? I am well. I am at Rags92.3. He is at Todd Burlage. And, Todd, I'm a little surprised at how much the, not just uh, the Notre Dame women, but the UConn women, and, and you know, you've got these other schools just uh, nipping at the buds now. This isn't a this isn't a cakewalk to the finals anymore. No, and we haven't been on since the loss to North Carolina, and that was interesting to me because number one teams versus unranked teams had won 198 games in a row in women's basketball. So that streak ends. uh, They win a couple in a row and then get thumped by, or not really thumped, but beat by Miami. So perhaps you're right. Notre Dame, for the first time, I think, since they joined the ACC, is not in first place in the ACC. We'll get a little bit more into that later in the show. And if you look at the, that Miami team, they've got a couple of ladies there that know how to play basketball, including yeah. one that leads the ACC in double-doubles. We'll talk a, lot, a little bit about that, but we always start the show with uh, with some blue-gold nuggets. What do you got for us? Three-pack of football here, Rags. Let's start with uh, and this. Uh, we'll hit on this with Steve a little bit, Wilt Fong, once we get into this, but uh, former Virginia Tech wide receiver, Eric Kuma, he's six foot two, two hundred twenty-five pounds. He is going to visit Notre Dame on February twenty-third. He's a grad transfer, and trust me, Notre Dame with the loss of Miles Boykin to the NFL, uh, they need an impact receiver. So this, they'll take a good hard look at this Kuma guy. Um, he also has Texas Tech and Penn State on his visit list. He was the second leading Hokie wide receiver last year. He had a nice year: forty-two receptions, five hundred fifty-nine yards. Seven TDs, including four receptions, 48 yards, and a TD against Notre Dame. And trust me, Notre Dame could use him for sure. We'll see how all this goes. Chris Fink is back. Chase Claypool is back. The rest of the guys on this Irish roster are very much untested and unproven. Notre Dame's not done a lot with the grad transfer as far as bringing guys in. They've lost a bunch, um, but it really hasn't been a rich history. A couple wide receivers, Cam Smith from Arizona State and Freddie Canteen from Michigan, they combined for only nine receptions, 67 yards, and a TD in 2017. Remember safety Avery Sebastian? He was a nice player, but he was always injured. Uh, he ended up being here 15 and 16, but didn't really make an impact because he was always on the sideline. I think probably the best grad transfer for Notre Dame was cornerback Cody Riggs. Made 11 starts in 2014, had 36 total tackles and an interception. So we'll have to wait and see what Kuma decides, but it would be a nice get for Notre Dame. 
Uh, moving on to recruiting, it's hard to believe, Rags, that signing day becomes a blue-gold nugget. <laughs> this used to be the end-all, be-all for a lot of football fans, but Notre Dame wrapped up its 2019 class with its 22nd recruit. It's a class that 24-7 sports has ranked number 15 in the country. They added one player, defensive end Isaiah Foskey. We will talk more about him up the line. He's a four-star guy. We'll talk more about the lineup him uh, with Steve Wiltfong. Um, it was so, such a ho-hum day, Rags, which is sure really was. hard to believe. Brian Kelly didn't even have a press conference. He actually, uh, what he did was just kind of on the Notre Dame website. Uh, a little bit more recruiting news that I just found interesting. Mike Elston flew all the way to Dusseldorf, Germany to land a 2020 kid, defensive end Alex Ernsberger. 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 Let's try that. It was a 4,200-mile round trip. You know, this is going to be a changing trend here. You're going to see more and more coaches and uh, recruiting coordinators go overseas for guys. Um, so I think this is just the tip of the iceberg, and I think it was smart for Notre Dame to be out in front of this. And finally... Combine invites are out for Notre Dame, and I think the snub is probably the biggest story. Notre Dame sent eight guys. It should have sent nine, the ninth being Sam Mustafer, three-year starter at center. He was a steady player. I believe he might have been a finalist for the Remington Award. Uh, he'll, he won't have, he'll have to wait until March 20th to make his impact at the Notre Dame Pro Day. The Combine will run February 24th through March 4th. All of it leads up to the draft April 25th through the 27th in Nashville, Tennessee. Again, Notre Dame had eight players invited. That's the second most since 2016 when they had 10. Two draft, top two draft prospects for Notre Dame, All-American cornerback Julian Love and defensive tackle Jerry Tillery. They're expected to perhaps be first-day draft picks. Uh, Adding to that list, offensive guard Alex Bars, wide receiver Miles Boykin, tight end Alzay Mack, running back Dexter Williams, and linebackers Drew Tranquil and Tavon Coney. I think there's a chance all eight of these guys could get drafted. I suppose Miles Boykin... And perhaps Alizé Mack are the two unknowns. I guarantee the other six guys are going to go. And again, Combine runs from February 24th through March 4th. We'll keep an eye on their progress down there, and those are your Blue Gold Nuggets. Now, keep in mind, last year they only had five, but all five got quality playing time in the NFL. All five of them, even though Josh Adams didn't get drafted, he played a, a lot of uh, a lot of running plays for the yeah, Eagles. Yeah, he so, did. And Durham Smythe only had six catches, but uh, and Equinemius St. Brown had some time with uh, with what's-his-name over there in Green Bay, that quarterback. So uh, it's interesting, you know. Eight. Let's see how many get through. Uh, well, they had 10 in 2016, right? Yep, yep. 10 of them in 2016, which is an all-time Brian Kelly high. The eight this year is second most he's ever sent. And now, uh, and we'll get to it in a little bit, there's another outlet for these guys if they don't go to the NFL. There's yes. a brand new league, the AAF, and there's actually another league coming down the pike with uh, uh, the Vince McMahon coming back with uh, the XFL. So there's other uh, outlets for these guys. That if they Even if they go to the Combine and don't get drafted, there could be other places to play. I'm excited about this AAF segment that we're going to do because I had a chance to uh, land an interview with Charlie Ebersol. He's a co-founder and CEO of this. He's the son of Dick Ebersol, who is obviously a sports uh, television genius, yep. You know, probably one of the best of all time. There's some high-powered names in this uh, new football league and a lot and a very heavy Notre Dame influence. I think we'll find that pretty interesting. And, and keep in mind, too, Andrew's dad, Oliver Luck, is helping run the XFL, so there's some big names involved with that. I don't think Vince, Vince McMahon's not going whirly-burly into this one like he did. Like You won't see names like he hate me on the back of jersey. <laughs> right. I don't think this go-around. But will spring football ever really work in this country? That's the that's the real question. If anything, it keeps, it keeps these guys active and in front of people's eyes to maybe get in the NFL. Yeah, for sure, and I think that the AA has a very good model that feeds right up to the draft. 
uh, some big name cities in this rags. Like I said, I think you'll get a kick out of uh, uh, some of what's going on in this new league. All right, let's talk about recruiting now and the lack of five star athletes. Is it is it showing up when they get to the you know the big time when they get in front of the, the lights here? And which it seemed like when they got to the playoffs, not only you know this year and then when they went to the championship game a few years back and were undefeated. It seems as though when the bright lights of the big games go on, the lack of five star athletes might be catching up with these guys. Yeah, clearly I think that's the case when you kind of act, you know, ask what gives when it comes to Notre Dame football when they get into these elite games. I think what gives is their lack of ability to land five-star elite talent. Keep in mind, Rag, since winning the 1994 Cotton Bowl, Notre Dame has lost its eight straight elite bowl games, and they've not just lost them, they've lost them by an average score of 38-17, to 17, and that fits right in line with the 44-14 Alabama game and the championship there, and of course the 30-3 to 3 Clemson win. And I think when you go to it, these teams have playmakers like crazy. And I, there was one situation in the Clemson game for Notre Dame that really encapsulated the whole thing, in my opinion. Um, when, when Clemson lost its All-American defensive tackle up front there, Lawrence Taylor, because of suspension, Dabo Sweeney, he just plugged in another NFL prospect, prospect senior Albert Huggins, didn't miss a beat, okay? Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, on the other side of the ball, Notre Dame loses Julian Love in the first quarter because of a head injury. That game was over at that was. point because there, right. was, there was no plan B to plug in. So to take it a little bit of a step further here, now that the nineteen, now that the curtain's been closed on the 2019 recruiting class, Alabama landed three five-stars, Georgia had three, Clemson had two, Ohio State had two, and that's according to Rivals. Rivals also said Notre Dame has none. Now 24-7 gives Kyle Hamilton the safety a five-star rating, but he is certainly not a consensus five-star t- uh, type of guy. Let's take it back, okay? Let's take it back over four years. So these are the guys that are making up the 2019 rosters. Check this out. Georgia has 18 five-stars. Mm. Alabama, 14. Ohio State, 12. Clemson, 10. And, of course, those are the top four. And those are the four big dogs every year when it comes to in-running for the playoffs. During that same time, rival said Notre Dame has one. I just gave you all the numbers there. And that was Dalen Hayes in 2016. Wow. So you have to go all the way back to Jalen Smith. If you go back to Jalen Smith, according to Rivals.com, Notre Dame has signed one five-star recruit. And I think it shows up in these big games, Rags. I really do. And not only that, but it shows up in the Final Four that you're seeing every year. It's not just Notre Dame's problem. This is a problem that the college football might have yeah. to eventually look at and figure out how to even the playing field. I, I don't know how they're going to do it, but you're exactly right. And every year we have this debate on whether or not to expand the football playoffs. What in the hell is the point? I don't think it'll matter because you're just going to have more games like the Notre Dame game earlier in the rounds <laughs> exactly. of the playoffs. Exactly. Like Alabama's going to overlook Central Florida and uh, get upset. You know <laughs> You get the upsets in basketball, you're just not going to get them in football. No, you're not. When when you're bigger, stronger, faster than the other guy on the other side, chances are you're going to beat them. All right, we are talking with the uh, the guy who knows everything. Let's face it. He's from uh, 24-7 Sports. He's been on the show a number of times. We love having him. Steve Wiltfong. Uh, follow him at swiltfong 247 on Twitter. Steve, uh, signing day, come and gone. There's, how many signing days are there? And there's like 12 signing days for these kids. It's getting ridiculous. Well, we got two, and we need them um, because it makes covering both of them easier when there's two of them. <laughs> Steve, I don't want to break down the whole Notre Dame class because we did that a lot in December, but I do want to ask you, first of all, I'll start here, but I want to get into a more broader topic. But uh, just tell us about the one kid they did sign, uh, defensive end Isaiah Foskey. Yeah, six foot five, 240-pound edge guy out of California powerhouse Concord, De La Salle. 
the young man that played in the All-American Bowl, uh, comes from a winning program, has all the intangibles you're looking for. And he's a developmental guy at the point of attack that could emerge into a, a really uh, good pass rusher in another uniform. Steve, uh, what jumps out at me, and there's been some, some rumblings about it, um, when you look at what happened to Notre Dame the last two times, they've really, really, they're 0 and 8 in their last eight Premier Bowl games. But a lot of talk says it's because they can't land the five star players. And I think this is another class. Now, you guys have Kyle Hamilton, the safety rated as a five star guy. But all in all, when you look at Notre Dame's history, they, they really don't land that many compared to the big dogs of college football. Why do you think that is? Let me start there. Well, I think when you looked at Notre Dame's team this year, I think that they had a championship level defense that played that held up pretty strong against Clemson. Um, with the injuries, you had Julian Love go out, you had Oquara go out, um, you had Aloe Gilman go out, um, and you didn't have my or maybe they had Myron Tagovailoa in the game, but he was hurt all year. So those are some heavy hitters against the the national champion. I think that Notre Dame could certainly, that wouldn't have been the best defense in college football history, but it would have been good enough is my point. I think he could could have won a title with that defense. Um, Offensive line has been good enough. I mean, look, McGlinchey, Quentin Nelson, Jack Martin, I don't don't care what they were ranked. They're five stars. They're first-round draft picks. You know, and and so they just weren't ranked properly um, coming out. You know, now they were ranked high, but they were five stars. Um, Ian Book was efficient enough, I think. Um, where Notre Dame's, where 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 Notre Dame needs to make the move, I think. Well, they were young. They're young. They're, they had a young offensive coordinator that's learning on the job. Um, that certainly had some bright moments last year, but they struggled against Clemson. Um, uh, Notre Dame, they gotta get those. They gotta get that, those more dynamic receivers now. Notre Dame was really big at receiver this past year. Miles Boykin, um, Claypool, Alize Mack, Nick Wisher. And those guys are tough to match up with because of their size and their ball skills. Notre Dame only had one guy on offense though that was a threat to score every time he touched the ball. And for whatever reason, I don't think he was utilized as much as he could have been. And, and you can. It's easy for me to say that not being in the meeting rooms or whatnot, but Dexter was the most exciting player on that on that offense, and they need more guys like that that can change a game on one possession, one play, uh, hit a home run, um, and against those good teams to to kind of change the momentum in, in ball games against teams like that. We're talking with Steve Wilfong from 24-7 Sports and 247sports.com. Uh, find him on Twitter, swiltfong247. Steve, I want to ask you also, there was always some rumbling, and you can probably speak to this, that while Autry Denson was great at developing his running backs when he was here, he really didn't put in the effort when it came to recruiting. I guess if you could address that a little bit now that he's moved on to Charleston Southern, and then the new guy, really not a big profile, not a lot of resume when it comes to Lance Taylor, uh, but certainly a couple good running backs that he coached at Stanford. Can you kind of address that dynamic with the running back coaches at Notre Dame? Because I, I as well think that's one of those positions that the Irish are falling short when it comes to landing dynamic talent. Yeah, well, there's no more Tony Alford backs on the roster, and Autry Denson's not going to be around to coach any of the guys that he recruited. And, uh, so Lance walks into a running back room that 
seems suspect right now. Sure. Um, and, and certainly maybe Jafar is the guy, but he was recruited to, he was recruited as a receiver. So you had to make up for a miss at that position, uh, over the course of the year. And you got Kyron Williams coming in as an unproven freshman that looks dynamic on film, but I don't know if he has the top end speed to be that one touch and go guy. Uh, I think he's got a shot to be a good player though. Um, so, and, and then Lance, you're right. He, we don't know what kind of a recruiter he is. Um, we don't, I'm not saying he's not going to be an elite recruiter. We just, he hasn't been in a position to show it. And, and, uh, um, you didn't know Tony Alford was a, a dynamite lights out, get Lewis Nix to commit to the program without a head coach recruiter until you get a decal like that on your golf shirt. Um, and, uh, you know, Lance at Stanford did get Bryce Love, but I also say that you know, Stanford gets yeah. half the guys they offer. And it's, has, it doesn't have as much to do with with the uh, the coach recruiting as it does the institution. Now, I will say that it takes a whole heck of a lot of good evaluating at Stanford and, and pounding the pavement and turning over rocks to find the kids that are, are capable of getting admitted into Stanford that can also play at a high level. That's not easy to do. So, you know, we'll see. Chris Tyree, he's a five-star running back type out of Virginia, maybe the fastest player in the entire 2020 class. He's, he's a better name. Better name should be getting. And uh, um, there was no shot that Audrey Dunson was going to get that kid, in my opinion. So we'll see if Notre Dame can go toe-to-toe with the uh, Alabamas and, and uh, the Penn States and the Stanfords uh, of the world for, for Chris Tyree, who's going to be heavily recruited. And, you know, um, I mentioned earlier Miles Boykin and Al Zane Mack and uh, Mick Wisher, uh, Chase Claypool, all those guys recruited on Mike Gunbrock's watch. And, and, and some, so we still haven't seen a guy that Chip Long or Dell has recruited either make an impact on the offense. So, We'll see as far as the skill players go, anyway. So we'll see if those guys evaluated well at receiver. And uh, there's no shame in sitting behind guys like Miles Boykin and Alize Mack and, and, and Clay Poole and, and biding your time. Um, but Kevin Austin, uh, Michael Young, um, some of those guys are on deck. Uh, I think Michael Young may have even been a Denbrock recruit, actually. So, um, but we'll see. We'll see if uh, some of these guys that Chip Long and Dell recruited can be difference makers at Notre Dame. Obviously, the guys Tony Alford and, and Mike Denbrock recruited were good enough to uh, have Notre Dame put up some really good offensive numbers over the years and win a lot of games. Steve, we appreciate your time. You're always busy at this time of year. Uh, Steve Wilt Fong from uh, 24-7 Sports. It's S. Wilt Fong 24-7. We'll talk real soon, right, pal? Thanks, guys, for having me on. See you. Thanks, Steve. I love the point that Steve made when he's talking about the skill position and how Notre Dame really needs to step it up there. I, I totally get what he's saying. The offensive line, they sent it's a pipeline to the NFL. But the defensive line has made some great strides on Notre Dame's side as well. But when you're looking at it, with Denson gone and Lance Taylor now at, as running backs coach, and they really need to upgrade recruiting at that. And Steve mentioned Chris Tyree out of Chester, Virginia. He's a four-star, five-star type of guy. A.J. Henning is another one. He's out of Frankfurt, Illinois. Notre Dame has absolutely have to get the—they they need these guys. And the reason they need these guys, Rags, is look at this running backs room right mm. now. I mean, it, it, 
Jafar Armstrong is probably your leading candidate to be your starting running back. He's a converted wide receiver. Avery Davis might be his backup. He's a converted quarterback. Something went terribly wrong under Autry Denson when it came to recruiting running backs. They're paying for it, and they need to fix it right now. Well, we know Tony Alford, too. He brought him up a couple times. Uh, he was a good friend of the show way back yeah, when, he was. and he was a great uh, asset for not only Brian, but everybody else before him. Oh, for sure. And, and you know, I mentioned, and Steve talked at length about the the wide receivers as well, and that was another reason I brought. Uh, I wanted to bring up Kuma, this Eric Kuma. That would be a nice grad transfer get, I think, for Notre Dame. Again, a six foot two, productive, two hundred twenty five pound receiver. Now we're going to get to the hoops in a second, and, and maybe touch up some hockey. But let's talk about this new league, the Alliance American Football League, and it kicks off this week. And if you want to watch it, I know there's some games on CBS, also CBS Sports um, uh, as well on that channel on TV. So you'll get an opportunity to see some players, and I believe there's ten Notre Dame players that are actually going to be playing in this in these games, Todd? After final cuts, it was eight. It started out at ten, but two two guys, uh, Amir Carlisle being probably the headliner of the guys that got cut, but indeed, TNT's picking up on it. Uh, good partnership between this league and the NFL Network, and it probably goes to the names, and I mentioned that heavy Notre Dame influence. Charlie Ebersol, he's a Notre Dame grad. Sure. He actually went uh, to, he, he was in the same grade as Justin Tuck. And he's who, a part of it too, he's right? Part of it yeah. too. He's an administrator there. I didn't realize this till I talked to Charlie Ebersol. He, uh, Chad Clunder, who has been around this football program here at Notre Dame for years, he's now in an administrative role in this league. So he left here too. Some other popular. Why didn't names. we get a team in the league then? It could have played a. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because as Charlie will tell you, they didn't want cold weather no, cities. That is not, for obviously sure. Obviously not. I think the big name here is Bill Polian. He was also a co-founder, obviously a Hall of Fame GM. He knows all the people. He knows all the tricks. And, folks, look it up. It's AAF.com. There's a lot of rule changes. We're not going to try to break all that down. But Pittsburgh great Super Bowl MVP, Heinz Ward, he's an administrator there. Uh, another Pittsburgh Steeler great, Troy Palomalu, he's a, he's an administrator. And even Jared uh, Allen, uh, the, the great defensive lineman from Minnesota, all administrators. It's going to be eight teams, Arizona Hot Shots, Atlanta Legends, Birmingham Iron, Memphis Express, Orlando Apollos, Salt Lake Stallions, San Antonio Commodores, Commanders, sorry, and the San Diego Fleet. Some pretty good stadiums. The two that really jumped out at me, San Antonio is going to play in the Alamo Dome, yep, yep. and the Arizona team is going to play in Sun Devil Stadium. You mentioned some of the television networks. Going to be a 10-game season. It's going to run from this weekend and go right up to the draft. Um, some rule changes, as I mentioned, that I'm not going to break down. Let's go ahead and play this interview with Charlie Ebersol that I had, and then once we get on the other side of it, I'll give you a little breakdown of the Notre Dame players that are part of this. This endeavor has a very heavy Notre Dame influence to it, and I wondered, was that just coincidental? Was that by design at all, Charlie, as you guys put this together? No, this is a business of relationships, and my relationship started at Notre Dame, and so Justin Tuck, who I had seven classes with at Notre Dame, um, one of my head of football operations is Chad Clunder, who is, you know, the DFO with the team forever. Obviously, Bill Polian's son um, is with the team. Like, ultimately, when you think about um, what it is to graduate from Notre Dame, it's to graduate into a family of alumni that are incredibly supportive. I'm very lucky to have that connection. Just talk about how, when this was put together. What was the vision for it, Charlie? Well, I mean, I was struck by the fact that there's 78 million people in the United States who stop watching sports on the weekend when football goes off the air <laughs> after the Super Bowl. You add to that 26,000 kids that graduate Division One football, graduate from college every year that play Division One football, and only about 200 of them get a gig in the NFL or a shot at a gig in the NFL. 
And so when you start thinking about that arbitrage, you start to think about why hasn't this worked before or what would it take for it to work? And that really starts with great football. What makes this different from folks that have tried and, and failed before? High quality football. Bill Polian is the difference maker in the sense that what you will see on Saturday and Sunday this weekend will be what I believe to be the best quality football that's ever been played in the alternative season. And how did you happen to go about picking the cities? It was a very conscious decision. We were focused heavily on a couple of things. One, where would football have the best chance of being able to actually lay down roots? And so if you look at all of our markets, our markets are all markets that have very strong football heritage, but no professional teams. Or if they have a professional team, there's an opportunity for it to exist. So Atlanta and Arizona. We looked at markets where we could reasonably offer tickets in a 10 to $15 range as a, as a low point so that families of four could go. And we looked at places that had temperate climates. So places where, for the most part, our outdoor games would be able to be played in a situation where the audience wasn't being asked to, you know, brave terrible winters or anything like that. Sure. Um, and, and those things all came in, into view also when we did our recruiting for each team because we did a regional allocation for players. And obviously, Florida, Texas, Alabama, Utah, California, you are and, and Tennessee, you're essentially talking about, of our eight cities, our cities, excuse me, our eight states are in the top 10 recruiting classes every year for football in the United States. Up the line, and maybe even, even as you launch here, is the hope to be a competitor of the NFL or in some respects a partner with the NFL? No, partner. First of all, one of our television partners is the NFL. Okay. Um, we also will be on NFL Network on Saturday and Sunday night. Additionally, though, we've created something called the NFL Out, which allows a player to leave our league during the offseason and go play in the NFL. And that, that has allowed us to have players like Josh Johnson, who is the number one pick in our draft. We released him and let him go play for the Redskins. Um, we released 71 players back to the NFL this fall, and of those, 35 have come back to play in the league, including – one of our number one draft picks was Garrett Gilbert, who we released to the Panthers, and then he came back and he's playing for us in Florida. So we have a very symbiotic relationship with, um, with the NFL, which I think has ultimately served us well because everyone who's tried to do this before us has tried to be competitive with the NFL, which, quite frankly, is an act of insanity. The <laughs> NFL made $37 billion last year in gross revenue. I'm not sure that anybody, short of maybe Jeff Bezos, could walk into that marketplace and compete at any level. That was uh, it's fascinating to me. The thing is, everybody's skeptical heading into these leagues, Todd, because they've come and they go a lot. Charlie's not, obviously. No, he's excited (laughs) about and, you know, and and maybe there's reason to be, especially if you're a Notre Dame fan, because you look at the list of some of these players are going to be playing. You got some recognizable people that you'll you'll remember from playing here. Yeah, and I think the difference between this league and some of the other failed ones uh, is they're they're not trying to go head on head, as Charlie mentioned, with the NFL. It's more more synergy. There's more synergy, more of a partnership. And I thought that was an important, and that was a question I really wanted to ask him. Let's start with Tarian Folston. Remember, he played for the Irish from 13 to 16. Probably should have stayed another year, but whatever. You took the words right out of my mouth. (laughs) Had another 50. Had a 50 year option. Didn't take it. He's with the Atlanta Legends. Uh, Niles Morgan, who I honestly thought would yeah. get drafted, um, he was waived by the Bears in the 2017 rookie minicamp. He's with the Arizona Hotshots. Uh, Max Redfield, and I'm trying to get an interview with him. I'd actually like to you know get him on the show at some point. Uh, Birmingham Iron, you know this guy obviously had his struggles here at Notre Dame, 2013 to 15, but he turned it around. He ended up getting his degree from Notre Dame. Ended up playing for Indiana University at Pennsylvania, where he became an All-American there. It's a Division II school. And he actually had a combine invite after last season. So 
he seems to make good, made good on his. Uh, let's hopefully he can make good on this chance here. A couple guys that are playing for Orlando defensive back Cody Riggs. Uh, he was mentioned earlier in the show actually. Uh, he was a transfer here from the Florida Gators. Was a pretty good one actually for Notre Dame and punter Ben Turk. Almost, um, almost a jet. So he's not that far from. Yeah, <laughs> he got right. Cut at, the, at the last second, he was going to be their punter. Yep. Salt Lake Stallions. Greer Martini. He's worked out for a lot of teams uh, since uh, getting out of here in 2017. Linebacker uh, just hasn't been able to stick. So he's he's playing uh, out there in Salt Lake. San Antonio. Scott Daly. He was a long snapper. I can't believe Scott Daly isn't in the league. Man, those long snappers, they usually have a place for him, and he was a good one, and then they they last for 40 years once they get to the league. <laughs> and the last one here, John Montellis, uh, he actually was a grad transfer from Notre Dame. He played here from 14 to 16. He was an offensive tackle, seldom used offensive tackle. He ended up finishing his, his career with the Virginia Cavaliers. And again, I mentioned Amir Carlisle, probably the most notable Notre Dame cut. And just so you know, I know we don't want to get too into the details of the rules here, but they're, they say there's going to be fewer TV timeouts, 60% fewer commercials on the television. So it'll be more of a, a lot more action continuous yeah. than you're used to in the NFL. And uh, they, they really want these guys to not only, uh, Todd, yeah, excel in this league, but if it doesn't work out and every year you play in this league, right, you, keep, you get rewarded with like yes. a secondary scholarship. You can go and get an education in something else. And I think that's a terrific idea. Yeah, I, I, That's all for all those guys that leave early, don't get their degrees. There's a way to keep getting that education. And you may or may not like it, but they aren't doing kickoffs for player safety. Right. You know, you can debate whether or not that's worthwhile. But I think given what this league wants to do, become a feeder system into the NFL, I think that even that's probably a smart rule move. All right, Todd. Uh, one of the reasons we're doing every other week right now is the anticipation, <laughs> the excitement of men's college basketball is waning each and every week. Now, do they play a Sunday night game, which is interesting, uh, uh, this coming Sunday night against Georgia Tech? Um, I, I, I struggle for reasons to watch. Let me just say that, Todd. They're just, outside of one guy... Nobody's really excelling this year. Especially when it comes to consistency. You see flashes from some of these freshmen and whatnot. It's been frustrating for me because this was Mike Bray's best recruiting class. It was a top 10 recruiting class. And while you look at the players in Notre Dame's top 10 recruiting class, Mm. and you look at Duke and Kentucky and some others, it's a pretty obvious uh, difference there. But it's a shame that Notre Dame can't shoot because all these guys were supposed to come in here and be shooters. So... Shot the ball well against Boston College in a 79-73 win. Looked like maybe they were off the schneid a little bit. Actually hit 50% of their three-pointers and 53% of their shots. It was the best shooting game of the ACC season. Nick Jogo had a career-high 21 points. Ah, but then off to Miami this week. The worst team in the ACC that stands now at 10-12 and 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 2-8. And you lose 62-47. to A season low in points. I talked about the shooting. This was unbelievable, Rags. It was unwatchable, for that matter. 32.1% shooting overall, 14.3% shooting, a couple season lows there. Notre Dame actually made its first four threes, Rags, and then missed 16, 1-6 in a row. They were up nine early and then fell behind by 18 late. DJ Harvey, 14 points. John Mooney's streak of eight straight double-doubles ended. He had 11.6 rebounds. You mentioned the Georgia Tech game. I thought it was going to be better than this. I expected some growing pains, but my word, for this team not to be able to shoot has got to be driving Mike Bray crazy because he prides his teams on great shooting. And some of these guys, we even mentioned it in one of the shows, a couple of these guys were rated as 
among the top 100 shooters in all of college basketball freshmen, and it's just not showing up. And one of the guys, the, the one guy, the one guy I was talking about was John Mooney, and and the emergence of him back in that Boston College game, even his play has leveled off now, and he's kind of disappeared. A little, well, yeah, I mean, he had a double double there did. in the he BC did. game. He, so no, that's what I mean. That was still <laughs> almost a month ago now. Yeah, it was well, they just they just oh, they played again. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they swept the, this. They actually and, and that was their, one of their wins that they yeah, had. Yeah, isn't, for, it, isn't that their only when their wins are forgettable then you know it's a problem well, it's their only two wins bc and bc so <laughs> correct yeah indeed no I, but but you're right and i i just shudder to think of what this team would be without john mooney i True. mean dj harvey isn't playing well tj gibbs isn't playing well even the guys you expected uh to step it up a notch i you know Hell, DJ Harvey's a five-star recruit. You, you'd never in a million years guess that watching him play. So I don't know what's going on. Mike Brady needs to get it turned around again, and perhaps the, the whole dynamic of this team is weird because um, Bray has always talked about I want to stay old, I want to stay old, but for circumstances beyond his control, transfers, injuries, other things, he's about he is the youngest he's ever been in his entire college coaching career, and it is certainly showing. And postseason play is definitely in peril right now at 12 I, and 11. You yeah, know, so. I, yeah, with the, yeah, I, it's I mean, going to be really tough trying to navigate the ACC and finish over 500. They'll want him in the NIT, but they might not be able to deliver, that's for yeah, sure. For sure. Uh, and the women, like I said, is is the competition starting to level off here? Because even UConn has struggled quite a bit this year, Todd, uh, and, and now Notre Dame loses to Miami. Uh, and it was pretty, you know, it was pretty easily, actually. It wasn't much of a de- a, de- a a debate on whether or not they were going to play a game out. Yeah, Miami certainly had Notre Dame's number this week because the same thing that happened to the men by the Hurricanes happened to the women. Um, a season low in points, just like Notre Dame's men uh, for the women in that 72-65 loss. Shooting percentage was, was down too, yeah. 7% overall, yeah, which was horrible. And this is a team that came in was as the number one shooting team in the country at 62%, mm. which is insane right there. Uh, actually, Miami shot a whopping 39%, 3 of 16 from 3, and still won this game. Rags, you bring up a good point. I don't really know. Muffet even talked about it in the preseason. She didn't feel like the girls had that fire and hunger. They were so satisfied and still stuck from the national championship season. As a matter of fact, after the North Carolina loss, she said, it's time to get some of these other players in here. You know, if we're going to lose, I'm going to lose with some girls that are trying hard and, and, and playing hard. Well, guess what, Rags? Her five starters against Miami all played at least 37 minutes. So she's not making good on her promise there. But as I mentioned, Notre Dame now 8-2 and two in the ACC. Louisville leads the pack at 9-1. and one. You talked about a little bit more parity in, in women's college basketball in the ACC alone. Florida State, Miami, North Carolina State, and Notre Dame are all 8-2. and two. So it's showing up a little bit to your point here in the ACC standings even. And we often wondered, was it good for the sport or bad for the sport if one team dominated all the time like UConn did? Well, we're going to pretty much find out this year unless somebody uh, pulls ahead from the pack here, Todd. Yeah, Louisville's probably going to be the one to be able to do it. But uh, at least it's worth mentioning in that Miami game, Jess Shepard had another outstanding effort with a... 17 points and 17 rebounds. That's a heck of a game. Yeah, it sure is. And we look at the the men on the ice. So what do we know here for the women? Uh, the women's hockey team. The men's hockey team. <laughs> women's hockey team. Hey, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. I think you probably have one out there. Actually, it might be a club sport still. Uh, hockey struggling a little bit. Only two wins in its last nine outings. But you want to talk about parity. It is showing up in the Big Ten this year, unlike last year when Notre Dame ran away, ran away and hid uh, from everybody. Uh, they'll play Michigan on Tuesday in kind of an awkward through-the-week type of game. 
I think that stems from that. Uh, let's take it outside. Notre yeah. Dame deal. This is probably the other half of that. I'm not exactly sure. And then Wisconsin, a series with Wisconsin on the 15th and 16th. Um, so that'll be important because they're all important at this point. Notre Dame, I mentioned they have only won two of their last nine games. There's a couple ties mixed in there, but they're in the Big Ten. They're seven, six, seven wins, six losses, two ties overall. That's still good enough for second place, believe it or not, Rags. And that goes to show you uh, just how how much parity there is in this Big Ten hockey season this year. All right, Todd, thank you very much. That wraps it up. Don't forget, wherever you found us, the Blue Gold Report is brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. And uh, you can, uh, if you've got the podcast, make sure you rate and review us, subscribe to us, and we will see you again in two weeks. In two weeks. We'll have next week off, and we'll see where the uh, men and women basketball teams are at there, and we'll see what this AAF looks like after all. Todd? Always a pleasure. We'll do it again in two weeks. Thanks, Rex. This has been a presentation of Optin Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.